And hello and welcome to this week's edition of Novak Now here on the Nachum Siegel Network. I'm Jake Novak. Today, I want to talk about what I think is the most important single word that America is based on, the United States of America in particular is based on, the, mo- the one word, the one ideal that America really, really is all about, should be all about, and sadly has almost faded from our national conversation, even though that word is printed and is physically present in everywhere you look in, 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 you know, in, in our daily lives, and yet it's not really in the national conversation. It's further and further away from the center of the national conversation, and it is really, really disturbing. And I think that it's another thing when, when I reveal what this word is, unless you've already guessed, when I reveal what this word is and what this ideal is, there is a very special connection to, to Judaism, to Jewish tradition, Jewish thought, Jewish understanding. It's one of the reasons why Judaism and the United States of America, and Jews in particular in the United States of America, those who have, especially those who adhere to Jewish law and, and live an observant life, have for the most part, most part been so very comfortable in this country. So if you guess what the word is, what is the one word, the most important word that really for America, for the United States of America, and, the mo- and it's also the most important ideal, it's the same thing. And hopefully you've guessed that that word is liberty. You know, <laughs> there's a reason why they call it the Liberty Bell. And there's a reason why we call it the Statue of Liberty. And it may seem very simple to you. Oh, yeah, liberty, freedom. We, we, America stands for that, doesn't always achieve that goal, doesn't always live up to that goal. And I'll talk a lot about that in this coming half hour. But yeah, Sure, liberty, no big deal, right? And the answer is, yes, big deal. Big deal because liberty is not so, such an easy thing to accept as you might think for a lot of people. Liberty is frightening for a lot of people. Liberty is something that a lot of people don't want. And the fact that liberty has now fallen out of our national conversation, I think for decades, but certainly in the last several years, it is really falling out of favor. You just don't hear the word. You don't hear it talked about as an ideal, like we used to. And I'm not just talking about 1776 and the, and the American Revolutionary Times. I'm also talking about right up until... The, the height of the civil rights movement. You know, there were a lot of civil rights rallies and a lot of civil rights events that took place at the Liberty Bell in Philadelphia. And that was a good thing. But not anymore. I don't hear the word liberty from the marchers, the protesters, or the counter-protesters. I, I just don't hear it. It's fallen out of favor. What do we hear in America today from the so-called progressive left? Which, again, I think you've heard me say here on this program many times, that calling the left in America progressive is really, it's worse than an oxymoron. It's almost an obscenity because they're not progressive. They don't want to move us forward. They want to move us back, not just back to the times of, uh, of real infighting in this country, maybe to a Civil War type situation, but even before that, primordial times. They really want us to go back to tribalism. You want to see what a tribal 
country is, is go, go to a place like Iraq. And, you know, we're happy that Iraq's no longer under the rule of Saddam Hussein. And go to places like Africa, you know, so even countries like that where they actually have some form of democracy. It's not what you think. It's tribalist democracy. In other words, in Iraq, when they have elections, which is a nice thing that they have elections, but don't be fooled. Every Shiite in Iraq votes for the Shiite party. Every Sunni in Iraq votes for the Sunni party. Every Kurd in Iraq votes for the Kurdish party. And whoever is going to win that election is just based on turnout and how many of the voters that one tribe is, is able to kill or how many voting places get bombed. That's how you get your election results in countries like that. And a lot of people seem to want to bring us to that place here in the United States, where black people only vote for a party that represents them. White people only vote for a party that represents them. Christians, Jews, balkanizing the country to a point where we're just a bunch of warring tribes. But what we do hear from the so-called progressive left and from the protesters, and even from counter-protesters, we're hearing a lot of things like equality. They want equality. We're hearing things like the term social justice, which is also, it's not a real, it's not a real thing. There's no such thing as social justice. It's either justice or it isn't. Social justice is, is a euphemism for socialism, usually, or for far-left policies. I'm for justice. I don't know about you, but I'm for justice. And justice is justice. And if justice means sometimes rich people will win in a dispute over a poor person who is breaking the law, then that's justice. And if sometimes that means a poor person wins a court case or wins a judgment or wins protections from or some other kind of form of victory over a rich person because the rich person was breaking the law, that's also justice. It's also very much a teaching in our, in our Torah. Those of you who remember Mishpatim and that portion of the Torah where, you know, it's kind of a radical idea. Hey, you know what? Judges, you can't judge in favor of a rich person because you want a rich person's favoritism. Okay, that sounds pretty cool, right? But the, the Torah also says, oh, by the way, judges, you can't judge in favor of a poor person just because you feel sorry for the poor guy. You have to uphold the law. And the Talmud goes on to discussions about what to do about that when a poor person loses a court case and what King David did about it. I, I, if you want to know more about that, maybe I'll put that on my Twitter feed, at JakeJakeNY, which is where you can hear all the, find or read all the things that I'm talking about. I've also also joined Parler, by the way, P-A-R-L-E-R, the new Twitter-like um, social media feed. I'm trying to put as much of my content on there as, as well, although most of my, I'm still mostly on Twitter, but my Parler handle is at Novak Jake, just one word, N-O-V-A-K-J-A-K-E. So if you want to follow me on Parler, you can do that as well. But anyway, we're hearing a lot about equality. We're hearing a lot about social justice. We're hearing things like uh, economic equality. And my question has been for a long time, what about liberty? Now, I think the leading voice in this country, for better or for worse, I don't know if, if my listeners listen to his program or if they like the way that he comes off, but based on his work on his own radio show and more importantly in the books that he writes, America's number one advocate and most consistent advocate for liberty in the public square right now is Mark Levin. And if you want to read some of his books, he has a book called The Liberty Amendments. Uh, he ha and again, he talks about it a lot on his, his radio show. He's been very good at focusing on liberty. You know, it says liberty on, like, on all of our coins and, and a lot of our paper money. And again, we have the Liberty Bell, we have the Statue of Liberty. But for a lot of people, it's just a word and, and, and the idea behind it has gone away. Because liberty says, 
I'm going to give the same rights to someone who disagrees with me. As long as he is not breaking the law or infringing on my liberties, I'm going to give him the same rights. So, of course, that's a great segue into the discussion of the First Amendment in this country, which is very much under attack. The first of our great liberties, the first Bill of Rights, the first right in the Bill of Rights, one of the true foundations of any nation that really wants to uphold liberty or at least try to uphold liberty is the First Amendment. Somebody gets up there, and as long as he isn't telling everyone to stampede in a movie theater, or as long as he isn't telling everybody specifically to come kill other people and to harm them, he or she is allowed to say what he wants. And if you don't like it, and if you think it's offensive, then you don't understand liberty, and you don't accept liberty. Same thing with religion. As long as your religion isn't committing murder isn't causing physical undue harm to people or property, you have a right to pray the way you want to in this country. And if your religion says that some other people will be punished by God, not by you, you're not going to go and punish them yourself, well, you know, that's a good combination of the idea of free speech and free, free, you know, free religious, you know, the, the free practice of religion in this country. Hurts, hurts a lot of people's feelings. Hurts a lot of people's feelings when, let's say as Jews, we hear Christian pastors saying that Jews are going to go to hell. I hate to hear that. I hate to hear that. It, 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 it's annoying. And, and more than that, it can, be, it can be really hurtful sometimes. But unless that pastor says, and let's help the Jews get there faster by going out and killing them, or let's start really discriminating against them by making sure they never get a job and let's burn down their houses, then you know what? You have to be someone who accepts liberty and say it's okay. If you're not, then you don't accept liberty. This isn't easy, folks. Liberty isn't easy. And the founding fathers knew that. And that's what set the United States apart in its early days. Now, of course, the thing about liberty, and this is true of equality also, but I'm going to talk about how the fact that both liberty and equality are Never 100% attainable. These are goals and these are ideas for, ideals for a country that will never be 100% attainable. We'll never have full liberty in this country as we will never have full equality. But there's a big difference between trying to pursue liberty all the time and, being, and trying to pursue equality all the time. Now, the founding fathers knew that liberty was a big deal. They knew it was a radical idea. As much as they felt it was a natural gift from God, something that they should be given something that we should absolutely have and that at the time Great Britain was denying us. We know a lot of the founding fathers were slaveholders. And so either they didn't believe in liberty or worse, they didn't believe that the people who were slaves were really human beings and deserving of liberty as, as, as I guess they believed all human beings deserved and they didn't think the slaves were human beings. Either way, we know that there were some founding fathers who were not living up to the ideals they were espousing. Here's the thing about that. It's one of the funny things about hypocrisy. Just because someone is not practicing what he preaches or what she preaches doesn't mean what he or she is preaching is bad. It means they're probably a bad voice for that particular argument. And luckily for us, most of the signers of the Declaration of Independence and the people who really formulated the ideas of liberty in this country by putting them down on paper, most of them were not slaveholders. Most of them were opponents of slavery whether we're talking about Benjamin Franklin, 
whether we're talking quite specifically of Andrew ha- Alexander Hamilton, who wrote most of the Federalist Papers, and John Jay, who wrote a few of them. These were people who were opposed to slavery, so they were not actually hypocrites. Now, Thomas Jefferson was a slave owner. And it's very disturbing that he would write things about how all men are created equal when he was owning slaves. George Washington, who understood that the, the young country needed to be free from Great Britain, was an active slaveholder. He wasn't just like some, oh, someone else was managing his property. He, he was very interested in his property. You should read the Ron Chernow book about George Washington. It's actually a very good book. The funny thing about it, it's not one of Ron Chernow's best. And I'll try to remember to put this on my Twitter and parlor feed, the, the, um, the Amazon or other link to buy it. Even though it's not one of its best, it's still a great book. Just that second sh- should give you an idea of how good an author Ron Chernow is. You should read all of his books, all of Ron Chernow's books. And for my Jewish listeners, his book about the Warburgs is absolutely required reading because it tells you not only the fascinating history of the Warburgs, but their Jewish history is very much uh, works in concert with the, with the ups and downs of that family. You know, the more Jewish they are, I'm not going to give away too much, but the more Jewish they are, the better they do, and then it goes up and down. It's just a very interesting book. I, I highly recommend it. But his Washington book is very good, too. And one of the revelations in that book is that George Washington was a very active slaveholder. He wasn't somebody whipping them and putting them in chains, but he was someone who was very much hands-on in, his, in, his, in, his, in the running of his plantation. Okay. So uh, it's important to understand that. It's important to understand that, yes, there was some hypocrisy, at least in the way they were carrying on their lives, in some of the founding fathers. But that doesn't mean that the messages, especially the ones that were written by people who weren't, who weren't as hypocritical, aren't, weren't right. Now, I mean, if a judge convicts or a jury convicts someone of a crime that someone on the jury may have committed in the past or is committing now and they and the evidence is is behind them it doesn't mean the person's innocent right we try to have law-abiding citizens in the, in this country make our decisions for make, make make important decisions but it doesn't always work out that way but it doesn't mean that the laws are any less important the united states of america especially until the abolishment of slavery was not living up to its ideal of liberty enough. And it still isn't, and it never will. It never will completely be a fully, a country full, full of liberty for everyone. But it's what we strive for. And every time we make a step in, 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 closer to liberty, it, it can, it's kind of obvious. If I say to you, we're not going to allow any newspaper to be taken out, to be taken out of circulation by a government because they don't like what the newspaper is saying politically. Then that's something you can feel and see every day. Same thing with like a website. Every day that a website that might be criticizing President Trump isn't shut down by the Trump administration, it's a tangible, visible, clear, evident exercise of the First Amendment. And it's good. Good thing. And every time we see private companies try to do stuff that gets in the way of liberty, we can feel it as well. Equality is a tough one. First of all, you can't really have equality in a country without liberty. If people aren't free, if some people are free and some people aren't, then by definition, you don't have equality. If you're going to say the political class or, or let's say the police are the only people who are going to be allowed to have guns then you don't have equality. 
you know, it's funny. The same people who a couple of years ago, when after, you know, who were going off, or even just a few months ago, were going off about every mass shooting and saying, you see, the police are the only ones who really have guns in this country. And now these are the same people who are saying, defund the police, take the guns away from the police. I mean, the gun control debate in this country, I think, is very much on pause, if not completely over right now. I think that these protests in the last few weeks have sold more guns than any gun show extravaganza could ever do. Very much like Mike Bloomberg and Barack Obama's threats against gun ownership also sold a lot of guns in this country. Those guys were great gun salesmen. Maybe they were getting a commission under the table. I don't know. They were so good at it, it's hard not to believe they weren't. I'm half joking. But just think about it. Think about equality here for a second. If you don't have your liberties, if you don't have your First Amendment and all the Bill of Rights liberties, you can't have equality. Can you, is there equality in a country where some people are armed and others aren't? Some people are allowed to have guns and others aren't? That's not equality. Now, is, it, is everyone allowed to have a gun in this country? No, but you have to do something first to lose your right to own a gun. You got to commit a felony. You got to be maybe charged with, even just charged with a domestic violence thing. You have to be maybe a minor, you don't lose your rights. You, you don't get your right to have a gun yet, although children are a p- different part of a discussion when it comes to full legal membership in a society. But that's just one example. There are a lot of other examples. If you don't have basic liberties in this country, if, if there's one group of people that's allowed to pu- pu- publicly worship and another that isn't, that's not equality. So without liberty, you can't have equality. But people have forgotten that because a lot of the people who are shouting about equality, whether it's racial equality or economic equality or the social justice stuff, nonsense, all that kind of stuff, don't like liberty because they would much rather have, this is similar to an economic argument that we heard in Britain years ago, they would much rather have people without liberties than people with liberties who they don't like. In other words, strip away everyone's freedoms so the people that I don't like don't have the freedom. I don't like those, those Jews worshiping. I don't like them, and I don't like their synagogue, someone might say. So let's make an official religion in this country only one form of Christianity, and that's what it's going to be. And even though I might not be in that, that group of Christianity, at least the Jews won't get it. And that might sound like a crazy reasoning to you, but there are people who think this way right now. They don't like Trump supporters. They don't want Trump supporters to be able to post funny memes or videos, and certainly not President Trump himself. Clearly, tongue-in-cheek or funny videos on, on, on Twitter, so they would rather take away everyone's liberty so that the person they don't like, whether it's President Trump or one of his supporters, or, doesn't get a chance to say that, doesn't get a chance to have that right. They'd rather, they, they live it that way. This is very similar to the very famous argument about from... from uh, from uh, Margaret Thatcher when she was the Prime Minister of Great Britain when she argued that socialists in Great Britain would much rather have everyone be poor, the poor be poor, than the rich getting richer. In other words, if, if the rich getting richer means everyone's getting richer. In most countries where rich get richer, it usually is a tie that lifts all boats because the funny thing about rich people getting richer is when they buy that second house or they buy that third boat or when they buy that tenth car, they're buying it from someone who's selling it to them who's not as rich. And that person who's selling it to them is employing people who are even less rich who make the car, the boat, and the house. And so Margaret Thatcher noticed that these people who detested the rich getting richer would rather have the rich just stay in place than have, and, and, and let the poor get even poorer than see the rich get richer because they hated the rich more than they loved the poor. 
<laughs> Reminds me of, of a Golda Meir quote, another female prime minister, which is so true even today, that there'll be peace in the Middle East when the mothers of Arab children love their own sons more than they hate the Jewish boys. And that's true of the Palestinians today. She was talking about Egyptians and, and, the, and the Syrians, you know, established countries at the time. But boy, is that ever true in the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. When the Palestinians decide that they love their own children more than they hate the Jews in Israel, there's going to be peace. They're not there yet, for whatever reason. Well, there are a lot of reasons we can get into that another time. But liberty is a tough pill to swallow, especially if you're a really partisan. If you're a really partisan type of person and you really have a lot of hatred in your heart, you're ne- a, a hateful person will never endorse the idea of liberty for all, because that includes giving liberty to people that you hate. Now, you can talk about equality all you want, but equality is a much more amorphous type thing than liberty. We can all be equal in misery, which I think a lot of people would be okay with because they hate so much other people. They hate other people so much that that's more, that punishing them is more important than lifting everyone else's spirits and everyone else's situation. Hatred for, for all types of groups. And again, it comes from the right, it comes from the left. I think that the left is much more hateful now. But it doesn't mean that there aren't hateful people on the right. And you know what? There's no acceptable number, <laughs> a, a, amount of hatred from any group. So it doesn't, you don't have to feel singled out here if you're on the left or on the right and you're listening to this. The fact is, if you have a tremendous amount of hatred in your heart, you're probably more likely to just talk about equality, even though you may not really mean it. Because equality could mean misery for everyone. No wealth, no decent schooling, because you'll be getting those other people who you didn't like, and you'll be happy with that. Liberty for all, ooh, liberty for all, that means that those people in the South who I don't like, who vote for Trump and drive a pickup and listen to country music, they're going to have the same liberties I have. They're going to be able to go on Facebook, too, and post what they think. Oy vey, no, I don't want that. If you're the kind of person who talks like that, then you don't believe in liberty. And maybe America isn't for you not kicking you out but i'm thinking maybe america isn't for you you know when my daughter was in seventh grade she learned a lot about liberty she was learning a lot about the american revolution and it occurred to me this might be the last time in her formal education no matter how many years she spends in in college or university however that she'll ever really learn about liberty from then on it's going to be about equality and it's going to be about injustice and all that kind of stuff. And it's too bad because even the, the original people who were really looking for equality in this country, whether it were people like Frederick Douglass or people even before him or going all the way to Martin Luther King, they understood that liberty needed to be the forefront and the cornerstone of the civil rights movement, of that movement for equality, because they understood, as I've been saying, that without liberty, you can't have equality. You can't have a good kind of equality. And they understood that. And I, and I thought to myself, I know what's going on in the colleges today. I know what's going on in the AP history classes and things like that. They're going to be talking, talking about slavery and America's injustice to black people and in the injustices to the Native Americans. And all that is true. I'm not saying it's not true. I mean, slavery is a tremendous injustice. But there's been a push by the left starting with for example, not even starting, just the latest example being the 1619 Project at the New York Times, which has been found to be, by the way, filled with historical inaccuracies and, and just out and out lies. But we know now, based on some of the biographies of the people who were in, involved in that project, that their goal was to paint America as being all about inequality and slavery and horrible things. Now, none of it necessarily has to be, although they did lie a lot in that 1619 Project and got a lot of phony data in there and narratives in there but the, 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 most of it was still true I mean, slavery did happen in this country 
And slavery played a, a big role in the development of the South and its economy, unfortunately. The good news there is that it actually stunted the economy more than it grew it after a certain period. Once you, got, once you get into the 18th century, the mid-18th century, the South starts to fall behind because of the Industrial Revolution and the, and the industrialization of the, of the northern states. All the way to the point where by the time President Lincoln is in office, it isn't even about the Civil War anymore. He knows he can't even start to plan the Transcontinental Railroad, which was finished after he died, but he got the ball rolling. He knows that he, it can't run through the South because they don't have the industrial production and the materials that, that need it to do it through the South, which is why it didn't run through the South, the, the, the original transcontinental line. So the point is, yes, slavery is, is a tremendous part of the, of, the, of, of the early, early, early economic history of the country, but it, we moved on from there. It's not what America is all about. America is always about trying to achieve that liberty. And when we don't do it, we suffer for it. We suffer for it. The answer is not to trash the goal of liberty when we don't achieve it. The answer is to try to find out why we didn't get there and move, and move forward to, towards it. Now, again, I think that there is a connection here in, at the core of, 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 of what Judaism is all about and what we understand about our Jewish responsibilities and our laws and things like that. As almost anyone who's learned in a yeshiva can tell you, we believe in bechirah chofshit in, 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 in the Jewish religion, in the Jewish life, which means free, free will, free choice. God has made it very clear, and our, our rabbis have made it very clear, these are the commandments, and these are the, these, these are the things you have to do, these are the things you can't do. And we're not robots. The angels are basically like robots. The angels, the, the, the angels are, they, they're, they're pure beings, but they're not, it's, it's not so impressive. They don't really have the, the, the choice to do anything wrong. And we're going to be judged based on how good a job we do following through with our free choice. Do we really have free will? This is a big argument that a lot of philosophers have now and a lot of people have talked about in the political arena. <laughs> Obviously, there are so many wins that we don't have control over that move us one way or the other. But we must strive to make our choices as much as possible when we have the opportunity to do so. And I do think that we have a lot of choices in our lives, more than we realize. Maybe it's just little things. Maybe someone is like, well, you don't really have a choice about how wealthy you're going to be. It's mostly things that were determined even before you got out of elementary school. Oh, okay. But I think you still have a choice about whether you're going to be a decent person. How about that? And that to me is more important than what you know, your bank account's going to say. Now, this is an entirely different discussion about the reality of free will or not, and the, some people call it the illusion of free will. I think that if you look at it in a huge macro sense, you can make a very strong argument that we don't have the tremendous choices that we think we might have. Because we think of it, if you think of free will as only being like, well, I, will I be a millionaire, an NBA star, a king, or a washerwoman? Yeah, then maybe there's an argument that you don't have that kind of, that level of free will. But when it comes to, are you going to be a kinder person today than you were yesterday? Are you going to read more today? Are you going to learn more about something before you speak up? That, I think we still have a lot of free will, at least in this country. So we shouldn't downplay it that much. This is a cornerstone of Jewish law and Jewish thinking. And I think it's why there's been such a good marriage of Jewish people and the United States for the most part. Obviously, it's not a Jewish nation. It's not like the state of Israel. But one of the biggest reasons why I think Jews have prospered in this country, both intellectually and you know, economically in other ways, is because of that ideal, ideal of liberty is the same. 
for both Jews and Americans. We know we're not always going to achieve it, and we won't 100% achieve it, but that's got to be the goal. Liberty. Liberty overall, even if that means liberty for the people that you don't like. You got to be able to swallow that pill, because when you do, that will lead to a lot of other good things. I'm Jake Novak. This has been Novak Now on the Nachum Siegel Network. I hope to speak to you again next week.